And uh, we're going to continue a conversation that we started last week. Last week we began a new and important conversation uh, called God's Church, Your Family. And if you missed last week, you can always pick it up online. But the big idea so far is really simple. When you turned to Jesus, something big happened. When you made the life decision to believe that Jesus is the one that God sent, and you turned to him as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, something big happened. Actually, a lot of big things happened. We tend to kind of simplify it and think, well, I had my sins forgiven. And yes, that's true. At that moment... Your sins were forgiven, but there were a number of other spiritual transactions that took place at the same time. Not only were your sins forgiven, but you were justified by God. That means that God made you uh, look blameless, legally blameless in his universe. You were reconciled. That means you, the, the God that you were at relational odds with in the past, you have now been uh, made, your relationship has now been repaired. You've been reconciled. Uh, You were indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that God now lives in you. A number of different things took place. And one of those things we talked about last week. We we gave it a theological-sounding tone, but we really just kind of made up a word and said you were familified. At the moment that you turned to Jesus, God adopted you into his family, and you were made part of his household. You were adopted into God's family, which means that you, were get, that, that you have a new father, and you have a whole bunch of new brothers and sisters in something called the church. And the, the church is this strong group. We talked, about, we talked about that last Sunday. We talked about how the church is a strong group, not a weak group, but a strong group where the group is more important than the individuals who compose it. And the purpose of, of the group is to seek the good of the whole and not, the in, not necessarily uh, the, the individuals in it. And uh, as part of this new family that you and I have been made part of, we we are part of this family, and it includes everyone who's a Jesus follower, but the actual practical working out of this family relationship, these family relationships that we have, the practical working out of being brothers and sisters is actually done in the physical, tangible manifestation of the church, the local church. That's where we actually live out these new family relationships. So that's What God has done. He has familified us and put us together in a local church and made us brothers and sisters with God, our Heavenly Father. So now we're all, as Jesus' followers, part of a family. We're part of a family, and every family has a family resemblance, right? Strong traits that distinguish one family from another. For some families, it's their teeth, you know, you know who that, you just look at their teeth and you can see that that's a Kennedy. Because just look at their teeth, right? Or you can look at their hair. And Families have distinguishing traits. My family, uh, hair is not our distinguishing trait. I brought a picture for you of something that I think you'll probably like. I don't know if you recognize the man on the left. But uh, this is a picture of me about three months before I came to Trinity. This is me and my two brothers. We have a sister. Three brothers, a sister. I'm the oldest. So we go in order. Me and my brother Mark, who's getting married on this day, and then my youngest brother Eric. And we call this picture the three foreheads. Okay? Everybody in my family knows the picture, the three foreheads. 
And that's our distinguishing trait. And if you've met my grown sons, you'll understand that I've passed this distinguishing trait on to them as well, the three foreheads. So every family has a distinguishing trait. You can walk around Trinity and you can see kids and you, can, and you know who they belong to. You just see the child and you may not know their first name, but you know their last name because you can tell who they belong to. It's the distinguishing trait might be the color of their hair or the shape of their eyes, or the way that they smile, and you know that that child belongs in that family because it's their distinguishing trait. Well, every family has a distinguishing trait, and there's a distinguishing trait that runs in our family as well, our faith family, this church. There's supposed to be a strong family resemblance that marks us as belonging to each other. It not only marks us as belonging to each other, where you can look at us and say, wow, they're related, they're part of the same family, but it also marks us as belonging to our Father because it looks like Him. So that when people look at us, they can tell in an instant, we belong to each other, and we belong to God. And this feature Uh, distinguishing feature. People look at us and they can tell. They may not know our name, but they know who our brothers and sisters are and they know who our dad is. And you know what that quality is? That that distinguishing family trait that's supposed to run in, in every local church? It's God's preeminent trait, which is why it's supposed to be our preeminent trait, and it is love. Love, valuing one another and being committed to each other. Uh, A selfless desire to pursue each other's good at our own expense. That is supposed to be the distinguishing trait of this faith family. Now Paul tells us flat out in Romans 12.10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We'll look at this in a little more detail in a couple of weeks, but this one simple statement in Romans 12.10 just puts everything in its place. First of all, it reminds us that you and I have been made brothers and sisters. This word brotherly love, sibling love. We've been made brothers and sisters. We live that out in the context of a local faith family. Paul was writing to Jesus' followers in the city of Rome who were doing life together in the church. So we see sibling relationship, we see the context of the local faith family, and we see that we are to be devoted to this. We are to devote ourselves as Jesus followers to selflessly pursuing each other's good at our own expense. And even though Paul was writing this a few decades after Jesus' ministry, he's not going rogue here. He's not making all this up. He's actually just reminding the believers in Rome of something Jesus had already taught. Really one of Jesus' most important teachings. Because Jesus spoke on this subject too, the relationship of love between his followers. The relationship that his followers are to have with each other. And he taught about this in one of his most important teachings. So if you'll take your Bibles and open it to John chapter 13. In John 13 you find Jesus 
and one of his most important teachings, actually beginning in chapter 13, going all the way through chapter 17. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, it's pretty much all red letters. This is Jesus teaching. And this is an important teaching because, number one, it takes place at an important time. This is a night when all the disciples were gathered together in one room. They were in what's called the upper room. It was a second-story room above a house, and they had just had dinner together. They had just eaten a meal together and celebrated the Passover. And it was just hours. Here's what was so important about this time. It was just hours before Jesus was arrested and crucified. And Jesus knows what's coming. The disciples don't. But Jesus knows what's coming, so he knows that these words are some of his last words. And he is very careful about what he says to them. So it's an important time. It's just hours before Jesus is crucified, some of his last instructions. It's also important because he's teaching an important group. He's teaching 11 disciples. Now, earlier that night, there were 12 disciples, but Judas Iscariot, by this point in the evening, by the time that we read what we're going to read here in the evening, Judas Iscariot has left the room. Actually, we're going to pick it up right where he leaves. And then Jesus has just his 11 faithful disciples and his last instructions to share with them. So what do you think Jesus is going to say to his 11 faithful disciples on his last night with them? Let's begin reading in verse, uh, let's see, verse 30. Uh, As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. And when he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So here's what we have. Jesus on his last night with his faithful followers, giving them some of his last words, parting instructions. It goes all the way through chapter 17, some really important teaching. You could this afternoon uh, have a profitable time if you just read what Jesus' last words were. What's on Jesus' heart uh, just hours before he knows he's going to be uh, put to death. But the one theme that keeps coming back. If you read those five chapters, if you read them, you'll see one theme that keeps coming back. And what it is, is the love that his followers need to have for each other. It shows up here in chapter 13. It shows up again in chapter 15. It shows up again in chapter 17 in the form of unity. And here's what Jesus says. He says this, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now I know that we're already familiar with this teaching. I know that for almost everyone here, you've probably heard this at least once. Maybe not. But here's here's the problem. You follow Jesus long enough and you quit hearing things 
the way Jesus means for them to be heard. And so I don't want that to happen this morning. I do not want us to gloss over this. I want this teaching that Jesus gives us to sink in because I think we as a faith family need to hear it on a regular basis. We're going to take it piece by piece. And I want you to notice that the very first part of this, I want you to notice that this is a command. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus says, a new command I'm giving you. It's not a suggestion. This is not something, I'm not giving you something from Jesus that I want you to consider this morning. I don't want you to consider this. Jesus doesn't want you to think about it. Jesus doesn't want it, he doesn't want you to take it into counsel. All right? It's a command and he wants you to put it into practice. It's not something that is optional. It's not negotiable. It's not subject to modification. It's something that Jesus orders his followers to do. Jesus says, listen, if if you call me Lord, then I want you to love. If I'm your Lord, then you love. I'm giving you a command. So that's the first thing we need to hear. This is a command. Second thing is that it's a new command. Now, Jesus had been teaching these guys for three years. You mean he'd never mentioned love before? Well, sure he had. Well, not only that, these guys were good Jews, and Jewish people had been taught for centuries as part of the Old Testament law that they were to love their neighbor as they love themselves. So how is this a new command? Well, a couple reasons. A couple things make this new. The first is that it's part of a new order. It's part of something new that God is doing. God is in the process right here of instituting a new testament, a new covenant, a new deal. A new deal that he's bringing about that is going to reach its culmination in just a few moments. And it's something the whole world has been waiting for. It's the gospel. It's God at work in the world performing a a spiritual transaction, dying to pay for sin. And as a result of that, dying to pay for sin, it's going to bring in the culmination of this whole new thing that God is doing, the gospel. And it's going to reach its climax in about three days and 12 hours, this new deal. And God is going to, in this new deal, this new covenant, he's going to create a new kind of group that's never existed before, a new group. A brotherhood, a sisterhood, a siblinghood, a family that is going to go way beyond the borders of nationality and race. It's something the world has never known before. It's going to, it's going to bust through the nation of Israel. It's going to break down the walls between Jews and Gentiles. And it's going to make both groups, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews, which is everybody, he's going to make them into one new group, a new group. Not just, uh, and and he's going to take people as different as you can imagine. I mean, these are not just people who are ethnically different. They're ethnically different, nationally different. They are linguistically different. They are culturally different. They dress differently. They listen to different kinds of music. He's going to make both of those groups one. And he's going to put them in the same group. And not just any group, but into his family, his household, Ephesians uh, 2 tells us. So God's going to make these two people, these two groups of people who don't even relate to each other, he's going to bring them together into a new group, his family, a strong group, as we saw last Sunday, a strong group, 
with strong collective ties. And in that context, this new group, it's, it's a whole new order. It's a whole new thing that God's doing in the world. And so that's one reason it's a new command. It's because it's something new that God is doing. But there's a second reason that it's new. If this new group of people is actually going to work, it's going to require a new standard for love. And that's the other thing that makes it new. It has a new standard. Notice this. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, that's new, because never before has the world seen the kind of love that Jesus brought. Love that turns the other cheek, that's new. Love that forgives uh, 70 times 7, well, that's new. It's a whole new standard for love, and that's why it's a new command, because Jesus is calling people to love in a way that the world has never seen before, to love like he's loved. And that new standard of love would have been even more clear if uh, you had been with the disciples that night. Because just before they ate dinner that night, after they'd climbed the stairs and into this crowded room to observe the Passover, after they were all there kind of standing around waiting for what's next, they're all waiting to celebrate the Passover. There are 12 of them plus Jesus, and they're all kind of standing around Uh, when the weirdest thing happened. The weirdest thing happened that night. Jesus took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist. Like, what is he doing? And then he picked up a bowl of water and he began to wash the disciples' feet. That's how John 13, this passage, that's how this chapter starts out. Jesus washing the disciples' feet feet. It's something that, that uh, they should have already done for each other. But there wasn't a servant in the room. There's no servant to do it. And Peter's like, I'm not washing your feet. And James is like, I'm not washing your feet. So because there was no servant to wash everybody's feet, nobody's feet got washed. And so Jesus takes up a towel and takes a bowl and he washes every disciple's feet. He even washes Judas' feet because Judas was still there for that part of the evening. Now, this is their Lord. This is the one who gives commands. This is the one who is supposed to be served, and he is washing their feet. And when he's done, he says in verse 15, he says this. He says, I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. He, he dries their feet, he's done, everyone's looking around, feeling really weird, weirder than they were before with dirty feet. And Jesus says, what you just saw me do, that's what I want you to do for each other. I'm setting you an example. And that's what the disciples were thinking about when they heard Jesus say, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. They were thinking about this New standard. Whoa, he means what we just saw. That's how we're supposed to love each other. It's a whole new standard for love. It's a foot-washing standard. But they hadn't seen anything yet, because in just a few hours, they were going to witness the greatest act of love the world has ever seen, as the God-man willingly gives up his own life 
as the God-man willingly gives up his own life, dying in a humiliating, excruciatingly painful death on the cross. So here's what we have. Sandwiched between washing feet and dying on a cross, Jesus says, the way I love you, you love everybody. You, You love each other. As I have loved you. It's in that context between washing feet and dying on a cross, that we are told to love each other like Jesus has loved us. Now these are the words of John. John was an eyewitness, probably one of Jesus' close, probably Jesus' closest follower. And he also wrote a letter called 1 John. And he reminds us that if we are Jesus' followers, we more than anyone else should know how to love people. Because we know what love really is. Look at what he says in 1 John. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. Jesus' followers know what love is. Because we know someone who died for us. That's how we know what love is. That's how we know what it looks like. And we ought to lay down our lives for our, hmm, interesting word here, brothers and sisters, one another. This is how we know what love is. We're going to learn in a couple weeks that whenever you see the term brothers or sisters in, in your New Testament, there's a reason it's being used. It's calling you and me into a, our unique family relationship with each other. In this passage, John says, listen, we know what love is. I saw it. Jesus laid down his life for me, and that's how we ought to treat, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Jesus. So it's a whole new standard, a whole new group, a whole new standard one final example of that, which I think is important, and it should be fresh on our mind, is we saw that we see this very same standard in the book of Philippians. If you remember, during our Christmas study called Selfless, we spent four Sundays in one passage in Philippians chapter 2. And we'll just read that passage as a reminder, because in, in it, again, you see this new standard. Paul, this is Paul again writing. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests. Sounds like love, doesn't it? You should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I have set an example for you. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, uh, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This attitude in Jesus should be the same attitude in his people. It's a whole new standard. That's what makes it new. It's a command. Jesus says, I'm not giving you a choice about this. If I'm your Lord, you need to love. And, and it's new. Don't love like you used to love. I'm calling you to a new standard of love. Somewhere between washing feet and dying on a cross. That's what I'm calling you to. And that's why this command is new. Because there's a new group. There's a new standard. And the thing is that it's a standard of love the world has never known. It's a standard of love your parents didn't raise you with. It's a standard of love you do not see exemplified in society. Only Jesus' followers 
can love like this. Because only Jesus' followers have experienced love like this. Only Jesus' followers have observed love like this. And if you are loved like this, you can then afford to love other people. Because you are secure in Jesus' love for you. And this is how, Jesus says, the world will know that you follow me. This kind of love is to be the defining family trait in the local church. This is how people will recognize us, Jesus is going to say here in just a minute. They're going to see our love and know that we belong to God. By this, all men, all people, will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another like I've loved you. The world will see our love for each other. They will see love that starts with washing feet and goes all the way to laying down our lives for each other. And they'll say, those people are crazy. Those people love each other like crazy. They must belong to that guy who washed feet and then died for everybody. That must be who they are. I'm becoming increasingly, I mean, I've known it, but I can see it more than ever before, that, that in our culture, it's not our beliefs that are going to convince the world around us that, that we follow the true God. It's not our behaviors that are going to convince the world around us that we follow the true God. It is in this culture, post-truth, post-Christian, post-post, postmodern, whatever it is now, it's going to be our love for each other, our laying down our lives, love for each other, that is going to define us as Jesus followers, us as people of the true God. It's the level of value and commitment that we bring to relationships inside this faith family. It's how selflessly we're going to pursue each other's good And how much we're willing to pay out of our own expense to make that happen. That is supposed to be the defining trait of this faith family. But if we really want to love like this, if we really want to love like this, here's what we've got to do. We have to stop glamorizing it. We have to stop feeling sentimental about it. We have to, I mean, there was a time when I would have thought, oh, this teaching is so beautiful. It's so beautiful that Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. And this is how the world will know. I mean, that's so beautiful and glamorizing and heartwarming. But I have been a pastor too long to believe that this is beautiful and glamorous and heartwarming. It's not glamorous. It's not heartwarming. Get it out of the area of sentimentality this morning because it's not something sentimental. It's gritty and it's hard. And it's not always, it's never easy. And it's not always fun. I mean, it takes humility. It takes humility. Do you like to humble yourself? Do you find that glamorous? It takes Admitting that you are wrong. Do you like to do that? Is that easy for you? It takes being kind to people who won't admit they're wrong to you. 
Is that heartwarming? It takes uh, being patient with people who disappoint you. And being willing to forgive people who hurt you. That is not glamorous. That is washing feet and dying. Do you see where I'm coming from? If we want to love so that the world sees Jesus, we have to get love out of the realm of the ideal. You know, of the romantic, where it's beautiful and moving to love each other like this. We have to get it out of the realm of imaginary people. Are you tracking with me? Out of the realm of imaginary people, where it's heartwarming, and into the world of the local church, your local church, this local church, Trinity, where the people are real. The problems are real. Where loving is hard and self-giving and sacrificial. If we really want to love like this, we've got to stop glamorizing it, recognize it is rubber meets the road love, and be willing to follow through. In the next few weeks, we're going to put some more flesh on what this kind of love looks like. We're going to use words like serving and preserving and persevering, words that may not uh, resonate with you yet until we put some flesh on that. But I'll tell you what, uh, serving and preserving and persevering are not as beautiful as loving, I'll tell you that right now. But they're what love in the local church looks like, serving and preserving and persevering. And I want to lay a strong foundation before we get there, so that when we get there, We will be committed to carry out whatever kind of love it is that Jesus calls us to carry out. And the challenge is for those of us who call Trinity our faith family to think of these words as a new command for us. I'd like for us to hear these as a new command. It's possible that this morning as you've been listening to this, you've been thinking, I I think... I think I do this. I think I do this. I don't think this is to me. I think I love people in my church. My wife goes to this church. I love her. Uh, I love a couple of... I can think of a couple of people I love in my church. So, And I've done some nice things for some people here. And I don't think this is for me. I'm glad, I'm glad. I'm glad he's preaching it. It's true. It's a good thing for us to hear, but I don't think it's like to me. So it's possible that you're hearing this like you already mostly do this. Do you really? I don't. I don't. Do you really love people like Jesus loved you? Is that what you're saying? I love people like Jesus loved me. Yeah, I love the people in this church like Jesus loved me. Are you washing feet and dying for people in this faith family? Instead of uh, looking at this as the glass half full, I think I do this. What if we all just, for this moment, look at it as half empty or emptier than that and say, well, I guess if the standard is like Jesus has loved me, okay, I guess I've got some ways to go. That's what I'd like for us to hear. 
I'd like for us not to think about how much we've done in this area, but instead how much we could do, how much God would have us to do. Because that's the real standard. As Jesus has loved us, we're to love each other. And so really, I'd like for us to have the attitude about this command, wow, I really fall short of that. I really fall short of that, and I would really love to see God grow me in this department. That's the attitude that I'd like for us to have. If we have the other attitude, we'll continue just the way we are, which is fine. But if instead we say, I would really love for God to grow me, to love people like Jesus loved me, tell you what, we have no idea what that would look like. And that's where I believe God wants us to go. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like as we follow Jesus into that kind of love for each other. It's not like we're not a loving church. Paul talks to uh, the believers in Thessalonica. He says, I know you love each other, but I just want you to love each other more and more. Well, that's what I'm saying to you and to me. We love each other. We, I see people lay down their lives for other people in this faith family. I think God would love to see it more and more. And I think our valley would love to see it more and more. And if we respond to this new command like a new command and say, wow, I would really like to grow in that area. I could see I fall short of that kind of love. It'll create a new level of love in our faith family. It'll create a new way of relating to each other a way of relating to each other that will not be able to be ignored by our community. And so, think of this as a new command, based on a new order, a new group, with a new standard, the gospel, of which you are a full partaker. And look around at the people around you, and and say in your mind, these are my people. Now, you didn't grow up with these people. You have different backgrounds than these people. We're really different from each other. But these are our people. This is our group. And this strong group supersedes individual preferences. So we all have a new standard to aspire to. A new picture of what it really means to love someone. A picture that goes all the way to washing feet and even suffering to accomplish good in each other's lives. Now, we're still on the front end of this study. We've got six more Sundays after today where we're going to try to continue to add to these thoughts and, and not only add to the thoughts, but add to our actions. But I don't think it's too early for me to give you an assignment. So that's what I want to do. I want to end this morning by giving you an assignment. And the assignment is this. The assignment is this. I would like for you this week to notice someone in this faith, someone in this faith family, notice someone who has a need and suffer enough to meet that need. Now, let me say that again. Between now and next Sunday, in this faith family, don't count your spouse, don't count your kids, don't count your parents, don't count your neighbor unless they're part of this faith family, which you can love them too, but you won't get credit for this assignment, okay? Uh, I want you to find someone in this faith family who has a need and meet it. It could be small, teeny, tiny, meet it. It could be large. Wow, what a great God sighting. Meet it. And the only way you're going to be able to perform this assignment is if you pray about it every day. If you will pray every day. So this is really where the homework begins. Pray every day. God, show me a need in my faith family and help me meet it. Show me a need in my faith family and help me meet it. I don't think that's in your notes, so you might want to write that down. Show me a need in this faith family 
and help me to meet it. And if you will pray about that. Now, if you don't make that a matter of prayer, you'll leave this morning and uh, you'll, you'll forget. But if you'll make it a matter of prayer, you'll remember. And I'm pretty sure God will show you a need that you have the ability to meet. Let me pray with you. Let me give you just a minute to talk to God about the gap between how you love and how Jesus loved and talk to him about filling that gap. Ask him to show you a need in the faith family this week and help you meet it. Let me give you a minute to do that and I'll close with prayer. Father, you're hearing the prayers of people in this faith family asking you to show us how you want us to relate to each other, that you'll open up doors of opportunity to serve and love each other. My prayer is that your spirit would keep this teaching alive in our hearts on a very practical this week level that you'd show each of us a need in this faith family and you'll mobilize us to meet it. It's exciting to think about all the things you might do as part of that this week but also that you would just build this into our DNA as a faith family, that we love like Jesus loved, that you would help uh, us continue to aspire to that kind of love more and more. We ask you to do this in us. We pray for your help in it, and we do it all through Jesus. Amen. Amen.